This is Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives, a series dedicated to the testimonies of believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Arlenis Bakalu. Hello, friends. I am your host, Arlenis. Thank you so much for joining us on Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives. It is amazing to be back. This is our first episode for uh, that we're recording on 2022. So I hope you guys are enjoying your new year. So happy new year. Uh, thank you for listening or watching. And just some quick uh, announcements for you guys. I know that we have been sharing our podcast every Tuesday at 9 a.m., but now we're going to do a little change. <laughs> we're going to uh, start posting every other Tuesday at 9 a.m., so if you want to stay up to date on what's going on on the podcast, who's going to be the next guest, I will just like to invite you to follow us on social media. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can do that by going on the link here on the description or the show notes. Uh, so make sure you can do to do that uh, right after this episode. And if you listen to some of our previous episodes or you watched some of our previous episodes, you probably watched Joe Zakovich. Uh, and we have his brother tonight, but he's also our dear shepherd of foundation, which I know that a lot of people keep hearing about foundation on this podcast because a lot of our guests are coming from foundation. So please help me welcome our dear friend, Mark Zakovich. Welcome, Mark. And thank you for joining us on our podcast. I'm happy to be here. This is great. I've heard a lot about it and we've talked about it many times. And yeah. this is wonderful to be here this evening. Yeah, I know that you're a very busy man. So thank you so <laughs> much for taking the time to, to no, join us. No, it's fun. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah. Well, like I said before, we had Joe uh, uh-huh. sharing. So I know that we're going to be hearing a little bit of, you know, yeah, your upbringing yeah, and things yeah. like that. So we're going to be hearing the Some other side. Some of the side same of. details, but yeah, sure. <laughs> not the other side. <laughs> Through your, you know, your lens, not yeah. Joe's. <laughs> no, but Mark, we are so, I am especially very grateful for you, just uh, for your faithfulness, uh, you know, and your ministry and foundation. I remember the first time that mm. I arrived to foundation and it was just, I knew that that was like where I was going to stay mm. and it's been home okay. for me. Yeah. And I, I love foundation. I really love it. And thank you so much just for your faithfulness. Yeah, no, our family loves you. I remember when we met you in the basement of the <laughs> yes, tower building true. the very first time. Yeah. And everybody met you and my mom and my siblings. And so it was really fun. So it's yeah. amazing to see how life has changed since then and where you are now in life yeah. and how many years it's been. So it's been wonderful. 2017 was wow, the first so time I went to foundation. I remember. Yeah. Wow. I, I went and I was like very shy and I would leave right away <laughs> until <laughs> Megan Downer, which I mentioned. I can't before. imagine you being very shy. That doesn't was, that's not that's not normal it's not, that is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, after I met everyone, then yes, I was a little bit more comfortable when I'm but you know, when sure, I'm trying to sure. when I'm like just getting to know yeah. people, I'm a little bit like, I don't know anyone here, yeah. I'm out. But <clears throat> Megan Downer actually, which we had in our podcast oh, as well. Okay. I remember I told her, like, you called me out one day. She came up to me and she was like, Harley, why are you leaving right away? Like, mm. right after the, the sermon is done, why do you leave? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I have stuff to do. <laughs> but yeah. Well, you did. There was a season when you were working yeah. like crazy. Yeah. You know, was, every yeah. night. And I remember that. Yeah. Just working nonstop. So. Yeah. Long hours. <laughs> yeah. But again, thank you so much just sure. for joining us and yeah, very excited for for this episode so yeah. <laughs> yeah like i said like this is the very first episode that we're recording yeah, in right, 2022 right. yeah. so you get to be the first yeah. one in on 2022 <laughs> an honor i'm honored i'm glad to be here 
No, thank you. Um, so uh, normally I like to have my guests, you know, give us a little background about their upbringing, uh, their family, sure. you know. So if you can just let us, you know, share with yeah. us about where you were raised, so if you were raised in a believing home and so on. So sure. you can take it from there. Yeah, so I grew up in the Soviet Union back um, many, many years ago. My family um, was in ministry. My dad was a pastor at the church. My mom was a translator. She spoke English. And so we were raised in a good Christian family, good Christian church in Latvia. So that's where we came from, even though we were a Russian family. Um, it's not a popular thing to say these days, but unfortunately, <laughs> things are different in the world today. But that's where we grew up. And so I grew up in a Christian home from the time I was young. And um, it was about 30 years ago, just about 32 years ago now, when our family immigrated from the Soviet Union to the United States. We left in the, in the fall of 1989, came here six months later, just various God's providential work. And our life was very visible in that transition. And then we got here in the spring of 90. And so that was 32 years ago, basically, and have been here ever since in Los Angeles. So that's kind of the general flow of where we came from. Can you just share a little bit about where you guys went from? Yeah. Like from like the different places, yeah, like sure. just yeah. like how the Lord just provided, like the, you know, the way for all of you to yeah. get here. Because yeah. it wasn't just like you guys flew right, here. Right, right. Yeah, you know, our, our, so there were three families traveling together. Our family, my mom's brother's family, so my uncle's family, and then my mom's sister's family, my aunt's family. So between the three families, we had 25 people. And 18 of those 25 were kids, 13 years, and all the way down to one-year-old. So 13-year-old, all the way down to one-year-old. And we made a commitment. My parents did. I was too young. But they made a commitment to each other that they were not going to split up. So wherever they go, they go together. It's three families just because they wanted to you know, embark on this new place and, and have family there. So... We left in September, September 30th of 1989, and we were headed for Australia. Mm -hmm. And the first stop that we had to have was Austria. So we went on a train from Latvia, from Riga to Poland. From Poland, we went up to Austria. And we lived in Austria for about three months. Mm -hmm. uh, and that entire time period, we were going through the paperwork process, mm -hmm. heading to Australia and in the middle of that time, it was late November, I believe, when the Australian government decided not to accept our family as refugees, as immigrants. Mm -hmm. And of course, that was devastating because the moment we left the Soviet Union, because it was still the Cold War mentality that hadn't been over yet, uh, we were labeled enemies of the state. Our citizenship was revoked from the Soviet Union, so we couldn't go back. And immigrants weren't allowed to stay in Austria necessarily because we were headed to Australia. So at that point, my parents were panicking. They were trying to figure out what to do next. And so they began to contact any friend that they had in Canada, in America, a few other places, trying to find somebody who would be able to take three families, 25 people all at once, right, as a, as a sponsor. Because you still needed to have a financial sponsor and kind of get all that paperwork done. And so... Thankfully, they found somebody in California and they found somebody in Los Angeles. Well, the paperwork for LA had to be done in, uh, through Italy. And so mm -hmm. after three months in Austria, we left and we moved to Italy, to Rome. And we lived outside of Rome in a city called Cisterna de Latina, about an hour and a half or so outside of Rome. The time in Rome, or that city outside of Rome, uh, was also a three-month period. And the goal was to change all the paperwork from uh, Australia to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. 
And as you, as I reflect back on that period, as you get older as a Christian, you begin to see God's hand move in the details. You know, we hear these sermons, we hear stories of older people tell us this, that God's providence is involved in your life, and you believe that. But it's sometimes hard to grasp those principles. You read them in the Bible, you believe the Bible as true, but until you begin to see God's specifically move, God specifically move in your life through very uh, specific details, those stories and those examples give you strength and courage and trust that becomes unwavering when life gets harder and harder. Some of the stories are, um, we left in September, September 30th, 1989. We were the last day. So the following day, anybody who left on October 1st, uh, they were put in a different group of refugees and everybody was sent to either Israel or Canada. So Mm -hmm. we were the last group of of immigrants who were able to come into America. There were Mm -hmm. 6,500 or so that the American government agreed with the Soviet Union to take a quota of immigrants into the United States. Mm -hmm. And we have friends who ended up going to Canada or Israel. And unfortunately, those individuals did not have as blessed of a life. You know, Mm -hmm. they weren't embraced and it wasn't as easy. Let me just say it that way. So of course, thankfully they're in a different country and they enjoy what they're doing. It just was different. We went to Austria, as I said a minute ago, and we didn't know the language. We didn't know German. And so in God's kindness, my uncle's family lived in a little village and he was working at the Mars chocolate factory and uh, across across the street from their house where they were living Uh, A German businessman from Frankfurt was transitioned there. And so he uh, met my uncle at work and he helped us do all the paperwork Mm -hmm. for uh, the transfer to Italy and then ultimately to the United States. And as we were moved to Italy, he was transferred back to um, Frankfurt. And so you begin to see, okay, God is moving people from country to country, from place to place in order to help other people move forward in his plan. I'm not going to say that God exclusively moved that person just to benefit us. Mm-hmm. Only God knows the exact specifics. But I think in retrospect, we can see that God is doing something unique that may not always be obvious in the moment. Coming to the United States, uh, the reason we landed in LA is because a German businessman came from Germany, Russian German businessman came from Germany in Los Angeles to Los Angeles. He made enough money to be able to support 25 people financially because he had to do all the paperwork with the government. And so he made enough money to do that. Once we arrived, we were stabilized. He moved back to Germany. So even there's an example where he was making moves that were beneficial to his own business. And yet God was using those decisions to assist three families who were immigrating from one continent to another, pursuing uh, what they believe to be the right thing for the family, for the kids, and so on. And some of the lessons that I've kind of reflected on since then speak to the importance of being sensitive to the relationships that are in front of you. Mm -hmm. You have no idea how God is trying to use you today to effectively potentially even change course in another person's life. And for us, in that case, was for the better. And so if we are aware 
that God is placing people in front of us in his providential, strategic way in order to advance people within his kingdom, within his plan, uh, it makes it a little bit more precious to know that God is using you in ways that you can't even imagine. And it's been 30 years. And as an adult, we're reading some articles, we're, we're looking at some reports that help us put all the pieces together mm-hmm. to understand what's really happening that we didn't know as seven-year-olds or eight-year-olds or 10-year-olds as we were moving from continent to continent. For us, it was just fun. It's like, hey, we're on a journey, right? We're on a trip. <laughs> you know, we're on trains, we're on planes, we're playing in the, some backyard somewhere, you know, hanging out with other kids. But as we look back as adults, you see God's hand in action. And, uh, you know, I reflect on that and I just think it makes it easier to trust God today because of what I know his hand has done in the past. And, you know, I think of, um, you know, Romans 15 or 1 Corinthians uh, 10, where Paul says in both passages, the things that were written for us in the Old Testament were written for our instruction. And in some cases, so that we would not crave evil things, so that we would stop sinning because we see the consequences of sin from the stories in the Bible. And other places, so that we would be trusting God more fervently uh, with joy and gratitude and would be thankful. So... You know, just uh, growing up, you kind of, as you grow up and you get older, you realize, you know, this is what God has been doing. And I'm so grateful for all that. Yeah. And in all this craziness that is happening, though, it seemed to be like really fun for the kids, right? (laughs) But definitely, I can imagine like how difficult and challenging Mm -hmm. it was for the adults who were handling this whole situation. So in the middle of all, all of that, how do you remember your parents raising you in the word of God? Tell, you know, teaching you about the gospel, teaching you about Christ. Yeah. Uh, what was the dynamic between, you know, your sure, family? family? Like, sure. how are you introduced even to to the gospel? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I would say I was introduced to the gospel back in Latvia. Mm-hmm. So I would say that I became a Christian when I was about nine. Mm-hmm. So growing up in a good Bible teaching church, um, I heard the gospel. Uh, my parents, you know, taught it at home. You know, we read the Bible. Prayer was a part of our life. So all those fundamental elements of what it means to be a Christian, were the, they were a part of our lives. Uh, my personal conversion goes back to July of um, 1988 when I was a child. And I remember a sermon being preached by one of our associate pastors. He preached on heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. I still remember even now describing it. I remember vividly sitting in that church, seeing him preach I see the pulpit in, in my, you know, my memory right now. And as he was calling people to repentance and uh, the certainty of death and the certainty of judgment, certainty of hell. And so in the Russian Baptist environment, the way repentance was demonstrated is you would go up front in front of the church to publicly profess your sin and ask for repentance. And then the pastor would pray with you. Mm-hmm. And so as I was sitting there and listening to this message, I was moved and I went forward. And I repented for my sin. You know, I was only eight or nine, you know, turning, I think it was just a few weeks before I was nine years old. And, uh, you know, whatever understanding I had at that point, I would honestly have to say it was limited understanding. Nevertheless, I understood that I was a sinner. I understood that I had to repent. I understood that Jesus Christ was the only Savior. And so that was many, many years ago. Since that point, that afternoon, it was interesting, you know, um, walking home with our family after church. Uh, we didn't have a car back then. We're just walking home from our fa- with our family. 
there was a sense of relief and a sense of joy. I remember this joy overwhelming me, uh, even as a kid. And uh, it was within a year of that, from that time period, that our family immigrated. Mm. And, uh, you know, after the trip that I just described, we came to America and we landed at Grace Community Church. And even how that happened is a providential work of God. We can uh, discuss that later if you wish. But I grew up in a, at Grace Church in a very healthy environment. And in junior high, in high school, even in juniors, you know, sixth grade and so on, uh, I remember hearing the gospel and I remember going to camps and being impressed with additional gospel truth. So I would say from that initial conversion and repentance, I would never say that I believed the gospel fully as an eight, nine-year-old, the first time I repented. But over the next few years, as I was growing up at Grace Church, after we had already immigrated, more and more knowledge of what it means to be a Christian became a part of my life through the preaching that I received at church on Sundays and midweek, youth ministry, and so on. And so I think there's this progressive knowledge that we continue to gain for the rest of our lives. You have to have a certain foundational understanding of what it means to be a sinner and what it means for Jesus to be the only Savior. But uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to understand everything that the Bible teaches. And so in that sense, as I've reflected on my own conversion, and you know, there was a period in my life when I was in about 19 where I really doubted if I was a Christian because I grew up in a Christian home. I was always a compliant, obedient, good kid. Mm -hmm. There was never a season of rebellion. And so you begin to reflect and say, okay, my life didn't have this major darkness and now light. You know, you hear conversion stories that have this radical change, right? And those people who grew up in a Christian home in a church and they don't have that radical change, some of them doubt. It's like, okay, maybe I'm not a Christian because my life in my memory seems to be the same. Certainly this progressive sanctification that we believe in. So I went through a season like that. And ultimately I had to go back to the foundational principle that I think we're saved by grace and we are kept by grace. Um, I've talked to people who have similar struggles, have had similar struggles in their lives. And I would say that evangelical Christians tend to sneak in Catholic theology into their lives at this level of assurance. In other words, Mm -hmm. they want to identify specific contributory works in order to feel secure. Now, works do play a part in our lives in order to prove salvation, but they never can prove that I'm saved you know, for real because of this or that. Like, no, we're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. And today I know that I'm a Christian because of the grace of God. So I have to believe in the gospel by faith. And today I know by faith, Jesus Christ is keeping me faithful to himself. Now, the evidence of that is love for Christ. It is obedience to scripture. But if I'm only going to look to those actions, I'm always going to fail. I'm always going to be imperfect. And that lack of perfection may cause me to doubt my own salvation. So, uh, you know, kind of the beginning of the journey, the spiritual journey starts there. Um, You know, it gets fast forwarded a little bit. When I was 15 is when I began to be interested in ministry. I was encouraged to start a Bible study. So I started a Bible study at 15, 15 15 years old. And um, my mom and my aunt asked me to start a Bible study in our house for uh, Russian uh, well, Slavic, so there were a mix of people, but it was in Russian. I was teaching in Russian uh, for, you know, junior high, high school and college yeah. aged individuals. And so we started that in our house. 
and I began to teach the Bible, liked it. And then, you know, I got advice from various pastors at the church. And ultimately, by the time I was 19 years old, I was really interested in pursuing ministry more than just uh, doing it part-time or doing just a Bible study, thinking seriously, okay, maybe I want to pursue full-time ministry mm-hmm. in the future. And so in God's providence, it kind of led me through various places and ultimately to seminary. And, you know, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> and I do want to go a little bit back, you know, uh, just thinking about your family, like let's say your mom, Yeah. right? So how does she address sin in your life? And what was your response? Whether sure. when you were saved or even after you were saved, like what was, how did you respond to yeah. whenever she will call it out? How would she address that? Yeah, yeah. so my parents as Christians certainly uh, disciplined us. So mm-hmm. I remember being disciplined even now, many, many years <laughs> later, as, as I was a kid, I remember being disciplined. But it was a conversation, but it was also punishment. Like we would be spanked and we would be disciplined for disobedience. And so that was a part of our life that, you didn't just get away with stuff. Uh, you know, there's five of us. I have two brothers and two sisters. I'm the second oldest. And so in some sense, you know, I was expected to be a good example to my younger siblings. And I certainly wasn't always a good example in that regard. <laughs> but I would say that the the conversations had to do with, you know, what it means to follow Christ, what it means to confess Jesus, mm-hmm. that you're a Christian, then you need to live like it. And so, uh, you know, if we did something wrong, we'd get in trouble and we would be disciplined. And then you just kind of continue to slowly follow Christ. Yeah. So even as a kid. And I remember Joe, when he came, uh, he shared um, just a little short story about when he was a baby and he was in the um, little crib, the the, the little crib, right? And then uh, they came, you guys were being persecuted yeah, and they, yeah, KG, yeah. And they came looking like for any Bibles mm-hmm. and anything like, how old were you at that, at that point? So I think I was three or four. Okay. Um, so do so you remember anything? So, I mean, about? I think my memory is reconstructed from stories from mom mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit of that situation because, you know, I was still kind of young. But what I remember has to do with, um, the KGB agents come into our house, 17 of them or so at 7 a.m. And um, basically coming in and the goal was to find out where the religious literature, Christian literature was coming from. Because our house was being used as a staging ground for distribution of Christian literature, hymnals, Bibles, Christian books, and so on. And because my mom spoke English, oftentimes any kind of foreign guests, missionaries, would stay with us before they would have some kind of ministry participation. And um, because the KGB was uh, surveilling our house on a regular basis, they knew that something nefarious from their point of view was happening. And mm-hmm. so they wanted to figure that out. So they uh, descended on our house this one time and um, took away. It was a full hour, full day, nine hour or so search. They flipped the whole house upside down, uh, all the furniture, um, looking for... Christian literature. And so they took everything we had, multiple bags filled with it. And so the way they approached it is they would go from room to room. Mm. And once they searched a room, then they would not go back to that room. And so my sister, Elizabeth, moved a suitcase of Bibles from an unsearched room to a previously searched room. Mm. And that was the only thing that survived from that search. What you're referring to, my little brother Joe, being in the crib, is he was in the crib. And my parents hid Bibles under him. 
and he laid on those Bibles all day. Uh, and then Poor as the Joe. agents, I know, right? <laughs> Torture, right? Um, as the agents were leaving, they yeah. saw him, they picked him up and even found those Bibles. So it just shows you how thorough they were. They went mm-hmm. into our basement and there was a whole pile of charcoal uh, for winter. And yeah. you know, everybody knows that. One thing about Russia is it's cold. <laughs> and so we had that pile of charcoal for, for the winter. And they would go through that whole pile looking mm-hmm. for stuff. So they were extremely thorough. But it just speaks to the hostility and animosity that the communist regime had towards mm-hmm. Christian literature and Christians themselves. My parents were arrested that afternoon. They were taken away to the KGB headquarters in Riga. My grandma was with us for the rest of the day as they were trying to interrogate them and trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Part of the problem was that my parents would travel the Soviet Union and distribute Bibles and Christian literature. My mom, my uncle, and my dad would do that. And so because of that, the KGB showed an interest in our house. And uh, so that day they chose to strike our house and they also went to the house of our pastor. And so those are the two houses that they had searches in that day. You know, but even in that, such a dark and really frustrating situation where so many Bibles and hymnals and Christian books were taken away. One of my favorite parts of that story is that in the middle of the day, a car drove up into our driveway Mm-hmm. And that car was filled with freshly printed Bibles and hymnals mm-hmm. and Christian literature and just all sorts of religious works. And the driver, who's a Christian from our church, he just came from uh, Europe, uh, bringing all these uh, books back to the Soviet Union for distribution. He came up to the door, front door, knocked on the door. My mom opened it. He saw the panic in my mom's face. And looking behind her, he saw all the KGB agents. Uh, searching the house. And he realized what was going on. He got back in the car and drove off. And the only reason he was able to escape is because the KGB agent who was stationed outside in a car fell asleep in the middle of the day, took a nap, and God preserved an entire car filled with literature. So as as I look back on that story, yes, it's disappointing that so many books and so much was taken from our house that was supposed to be used for other Christians. And yet in his providence, God preserved an entire car filled with literature that was preserved because of an agent falling asleep in his car. And, you know, this individual drove off with all the books preserved and so on and went to tell other Christians that we were experiencing a search um, and they already began praying. And so that's how we, uh, you know, God, God's, we were survived in that day, but you see God working in those little details, uh, you know, this kind of the positive and the negative in that regard yeah. that you can observe in God's ways. Yeah. And you said that, you know, for you as kids, like it was fun, the whole mm-hmm. idea of you guys moving in all these things, sure. you know, transitioning from yeah. one place to, to another. But yet, you know, there was perse- persecution involved and, you know, I mean, just a lot of changes for you guys. Yeah. So looking back, you know, now as an adult, like how how do you think this impacted your Christian life or even your own relationship with the Lord? If not at that time, you know, when you were younger, but then later on in life as mm-hmm. you, you know, continue in your Christian walk. Yeah. Yeah, I would say there's a value for heritage. I recently listened to a lecture uh, by a Russian pastor in, in Russia was reflecting on that period, the Soviet Union period, and how Christians were persecuted. And uh, unfortunately, there were some spies 
who pretended mm-hmm. to be Christians, but they were KGB agents in churches, sometimes even pretty high up in the church leadership structure. And as I was listening to it, I was reflecting on our own story. The fact that God, hopefully in my own heart and in my own mind, has grown courage and confidence that this is my heritage. Mm-hmm. You know, I was never arrested. The worst I can remember is being mocked as a first grader and second grader in Russia because everybody had to be pro-communism. Uh, mm-hmm. When you became, when you went to first grade in Russia, everybody had a uniform, but we had to wear a little pin as a child student, a uh, little pin with Lenin's face in it. That's the first year. Then after a year or two, you got a little red scarf. You're called a pioneer. And I wasn't doing that. And so mm-hmm. you just see a, just a sea of students. Everybody's looking the same. Everybody's wearing the same clothes. And then somebody stands out. And of course, you would yeah. be mocked. And I remember, you know, trying to explain to my own teachers, and I'm sure kids, you know, why that is. And so my parents had to explain that we're Christians. We're not going to follow that. But, you know, in God's providence, as kids, nothing horrible did happen to me. But I would say that it, it gives me more of a resolve today that if perchance persecution is ahead of for all of us, and I think at some point it will be. Paul very clearly says that all those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. He says that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So because of that, I think it's fair for us to anticipate something like that in the future. And I would hope that our family story and then the families that we knew of who did suffer horrifically, it would give me courage in the future to be faithful. You know, I pray, I do pray often now more and more than ever before that Mm -hmm. I would be courageous if it came to standing up and being faithful to Christ in the middle of persecution. And, uh, you know, it's a sober thought, sobering thought rather. But um, I think it's a thought that we should always consider, especially as the world seems to be getting darker. Yeah. And it is. Yeah. It's already, it's already dark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so tell me now about your, you know, your arrival here to America. What happens for mm-hmm. you and your family? What's next for sure. you guys? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so we get here in the spring of 1990 and we go to a Russian church uh, because that's what the sponsor was who brought us in. My mom goes to a women's conference within a few weeks of arrival and uh, she comes up to the speaker who is connected to Grace Community Church and connected to Slavic Gospel Association. And so my mom asks her, what advice would you give to new immigrants? And she Mm -hmm. says to her, this woman, she says to her that if you're planning to stay in America, you guys need to go to the best American church. And that is Grace Community. Mm -hmm. So that was the first time we heard anything about Grace Community, about John MacArthur. We had never heard of him uh, until that point. So my parents uh, visit Grace Church in the summer of 1990. They meet with the elders for a conversation, kind of explain our story. And uh, within a few months, uh, our family transitions to Grace Church. And so since I was 10, I grew up at Grace Community. And some of the early memories are the love that Grace Church families express to us. So mm-hmm. typical of all immigrants, you, you come here with nothing. And whatever you can carry in a bag, that's all you have. And mm-hmm. there were 25 of us, right? The family, three families traveling together. And so... Mm-hmm. Somebody put an ad into Grace Today on a Sunday saying, hey, we have three families who are here, of immigrants, a bunch of little kids. If you have anything that you're willing to sacrifice, clothes, toys, 
furniture, uh, musical instruments, anything, please give. And so people began to donate so much stuff. So Saturday after Saturday after Saturday, we would have a truck load of stuff come into our house in Baldwin Park where we lived. We rented a little one-bedroom house. Wow. We got so much stuff that we had to give it away to other immigrant <laughs> just- families. We just had too much. <laughs> and But it just reflects the love of people, Christians, for Christians. We didn't speak English. They didn't know who we are. You know, some people met us, but I assume the people that gave never even met us at that point. And they were so generous that, and we were the beneficiaries of that. Yeah. One of my most precious moments is when I preached the Grace Church one Sunday evening, as I was thanking the church for that initial reception of our family many, many years earlier, after the church was over, a family came up to me and said, we were one of those families who gave you guys clothes. And it was 20 plus years later at Grace Church that we met. And so in God's kindness, we talked and we just thank, we thank them for their generosity. And, you know, their kids gave up their clothes for me (laughs) to have clothes and so on. But it's, it's just a reminder of the love of Christ that should, um, be true of every single believer in the true church. That um, as, as John, the apostle John says in 1 John 3, when you, have, when you see a brother in need, you don't close your heart against him. You don't close your hand, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, you serve. And that's, okay. that's how you know the love of God is within you. So mm-hmm. yeah, those are some early memories. And you know, from that point on, over the last 32 years of being a Grace Church, those blessings have only multiplied yeah. from being... Uh, going to seminary, to then being hired to work at Grace Church, which is now almost 15 years that I've been working at Grace Community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, as year after year, those blessings just keep increasing. Yeah. So, And I think that's one of the things that, that I've always loved about our church is just how much just people love one another. Yeah. I think that's something that, you know, it stood out to me mm-hmm. from the beginning and, and even now, you yeah. know, because it is a big church when you first arrive there. And yeah. it's scary in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But the more people you get to meet, it just start getting smaller mm-hmm. and smaller. So, yeah. And just getting to personally get to know the people, you know, right. the body of Christ. Right. Which is yeah. a huge blessing. Has been yeah. a huge blessing. Yeah. What happens then after that? So you, let's say you move on from high school and what do you decide to pursue in your life? What career do you get to choose at school and all, and all that? Yeah. So, um in college, I, so I started college and I was trying to figure out exactly what I want to do with my life. And so two of my cousins went to accounting. And so they kind of said, well, try accounting. I was good with numbers and said, check that out and see how it goes. So you know, kind of by suggestions from my older cousins, I pursued accounting. And so I began to study, study accounting. When I graduated my undergrad, uh, I thankfully got a good job working for a big firm in accounting. In God's unique providence, uh, our dad left our family. I was 21 at that point. And so because he left us and um, the financial responsibility fell upon me, uh, I couldn't, well, God gave me a good job that I was able to provide for the family's needs. And so in that sense, I'm grateful. But also some of the desire that I mentioned earlier in regard to ministry, I had to reflect on that because I wasn't willing to abandon the responsibility to provide for my younger siblings, for my mom, at the expense uh, of pursuing ministry and thinking, well, I want to be a pastor, so I'm going to kind of abandon all this on the side. And um, as I began to work, 
in accounting and uh, I had good clients and a good experience. Uh, the desire for ministry continued to grow. And it was um, in my second year at this firm that I began to think more and more about my life more seriously. And I picked up a book by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. Mm. And uh, that book, I read that book over summer on a trip. And as I finished it, I came to a conviction that unless I tried to at least apply for seminary and see if God would open a door for me to maintain my job and provide for the needs that we have as a family and pursue seminary, I would regret things. And yeah. so the story that Piper has in that book of an older couple collecting seashells and then ultimately bringing them to Christ on judgment and saying, look at the seashells we've collected for you, Lord. That grabbed me, that mm-hmm. scene, that what am I going to bring to Christ at the end of my life? And so I knew that if I didn't at least try to pursue seminary and ministry, I would regret it. And so uh, I applied for seminary. I was a 23-year-old individual at that point. And uh, thankfully, the firm I was working at had a special opportunity where an individual could shift his hours, her hours on different days and then do some private things on off days. And so I ended up uh, pursuing this opportunity, ended up enrolling in seminary uh, full-time and shifted my hours in such a way that I was able to go to seminary and then work the, the necessary hours the rest of the week and off days. And so for the next three and a half years, I pursued seminary. I was accepted in God's kindness. The company I was working for allowed me to do this. And um, it was a difficult three and a half years, very Mm. difficult. There were many times I wanted to quit seminary. I couldn't quit work because of the responsibility, (laughs) but uh, I survived. It was over, thankfully. And uh, it was Friday afternoon. Uh, So I was supposed to graduate Sunday night. Seminary graduations are always Sunday night. And Friday afternoon, I get a call from one of the pastors at Grace Church and he says, hey, I'd like you to come and consider working for me at the church. Mm-hmm. And that was completely unexpected. There was no consideration of that. There were no conversations at all with him or with any other pastor that I would be asked to come and work at Grace Church. That was, uh, of course, such a huge blessing. I remember the moment, the day, the scene kind of standing in downtown LA and mm-hmm. overlooking the city uh, in an office and just thinking that, This is a dream that after finishing seminary, I would be asked to come and work at Grace Church. And um, I had to make some changes in regards to expectations of what I was going to do that summer and so on. But ultimately, um, God allowed me to finish various responsibilities and get to work at the church a couple months later. And uh, that was about 15 years ago. And so, you know, as I reflect on those days, it's just God's providence again. God's providential hand moving in uh, in ways that I never even imagined. Yeah. As a 19-year-old, as a the first time I kind of began to seriously think about full-time ministry, to the 23-year-old who's just starting to think about going to seminary, to then graduating three and a half years later, and then, you know, in God's kindness, working at Grace Church. Yeah. And so this young man at 23 years old, do you, are you thinking of, I, you know, like I have a calling to become a pastor or what is it that you want to pursue? Like what yeah. ways in ministry sure. were you thinking at that point? Yeah. So my desire actually was to be a Bible professor. Huh. It wasn't to be a pastor. It wasn't to be a preacher. I had been preaching 
for actually multiple years up to that point. I preached my first sermon when I was 16 and then just kind of preached here and there and then regularly a little bit later. And so by the time I was ready for seminary, I had preached, traveled preaching camps and conferences and things like that and doing the Bible study regularly here in LA. And so even with all that experience still in preaching and teaching, my desire was to be a Bible professor. And so I went to seminary to teach the Bible at a Bible class. And I wasn't even thinking, uh, you know, a second master's degree or PhD or anything beyond that. I was just thinking master of divinity to qualify me to teach the Bible. But interestingly enough, while I was in seminary, those three and a half years, most of the ministry opportunities I received by various churches, it was preaching. And it was a lot of youth ministry work, preaching to high school students, junior high students, college students, preaching at camps and various youth conferences. And that experience drew me in more and more into pastoral ministry and specifically preaching in church ministry. And so by the time I graduated seminary, all I wanted to do was be a youth pastor. And so that desire for uh, to be a Bible professor kind of slowly faded. Now, in God's providence, it's back. So I'm teaching the Bible here as well at the seminary, but I'm also preaching yeah. uh, regularly. So I think now it's a blend and I'm very joyful and satisfied in doing both. I, I love preaching and I love to teach the Bible in a, in a, in a setting of a classroom. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's interesting how God initially drew me in with this Bible professor idea and then, you know, in multiple years later, it's a blend. And yeah. I'm grateful for that. So you didn't think about, oh, I'm going to pursue a PhD, but you do have no. a PhD now. Or- Not at all. I mean, honestly, <laughs> especially as to the end of my MDiv, all I wanted to do was finish. <laughs> Just get me done and with this thing. you kept studying. It's like, I, I don't know. I hear people, uh, a grace, like brothers and sisters, like, you know, like the Zakovich brothers, you can just stop them from <laughs> studying because you, Joe, yeah. and I think even Phil, Philip yeah. also. So why do you continue just studying? Yeah, so I mean, I think a part of that is that once you find something you love to do, you can't get enough of it. And mm-hmm. so you just go deeper and deeper and deeper. And, you know, for me and my siblings, it's the Bible. We just love the Bible. We want to study the Bible, understand it better for ourselves, but also to be able to help other people. Yeah, mm-hmm. so initially the plan was just the Master of Divinity. No idea about Master of Theology or a PhD. But God opened doors and, uh, you know, a few years after my Master of Divinity, I finished my Master of Theology. And at that point, I began to reflect on maybe it makes sense to do a PhD. And I applied to multiple places. And um, I was accepted you know, into a program in Scotland uh, to study with one of the best New Testament professors. He's now passed away. But at that point, he was mm-hmm. one of the best in the world. He was in his retirement age. And so to be accepted by somebody who's at the end of his career was a huge blessing and a joy and to learn from him and for those uh, uh, five and a half, six years was just a, an amazing experience. So I'm grateful that I had mm-hmm. that opportunity. And, uh, you know, now as I reflect on it, I just feel the burden of passing on what was entrusted into me. Yeah. And, you know, Joe and Phil, they pursued uh, a similar path. Uh, Joe also went to seminary and then Israel and uh, beyond to kind of get their degrees done as well. But I think we didn't, there was no collusion to get together and say, okay, we're all going to do this. Like, no, <laughs> I did my own rather, thing. Right, you know. Three musketeers. Right, no. <laughs> exactly. It wasn't like that. I did my thing and then yeah. Joe kind of pursued it and Phil did his thing, you know, and we all ended up in studying the Bible. They mm-hmm. focus on the Old Testament, they focus on the New. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was really independent. Now, 
we've talked so much. I mean, my sister laughs at us that when we get together, the conversations are all very academic and very heady. And, yeah. you know, we, we get and we enjoy what we're talking about. Sometimes people sit there like, okay, what are they talking the about? <laughs> so, but, you know, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, yeah. one, uh, I remember going to Texas to a conference and um, one professor saying, you guys really made some bad decisions because you're going to be competing with each other for work and because you're all in biblical studies and yeah. the career. Thankfully, God, uh, you know, blessed us in regards to work. But uh, yeah. yeah, so that's kind of where things are today as we, we pursued that, uh, yeah. that uh, study over the last few, few years. And I know Joe and Philip, they're very talented with music. Uh-huh. Are you talented with any Not musical? as them, not None. as much as them. We all grew up playing uh, the piano, the piano yeah. and uh, I still play a little bit, but mm-hmm. certainly not to the degree that, you know, Phil and Joe are definitely more experienced and more talented. Philip can compose. I yeah. mean, yeah, no, Phil especially. Yeah. yeah. And he's taken classes as well recently. So mm-hmm. he's only gotten better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in pursuing his music. I think music is really his passion. Hebrew is just a, a way to make money. So. <laughs> okay, let's not. He won't hear this part. <laughs> so, will you mind just sharing a little bit about the different ministries that you're involved right now? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, currently, my responsibility at Grace Church is to provide leadership and administration. So, mm-hmm. uh, Pastor John and the elders have asked me to provide uh, oversight over all that happens at Grace Church administratively, which means. Um, we have about 30 or so departments at the church, mm-hmm. maybe a few more than that. And um, I need to make sure that the directors of each of these departments, the ministry leaders are, uh, you know, doing ministry that can, can get things moving and things are still operating, whether it's yeah. domestically, so here in LA or internationally. So that's my primary responsibility. Uh, on, in addition to that, I uh, provide leadership of the New Testament department at the Master Seminary. And I teach in that department as well, the seminary. And so I've been doing that uh, since 2015. I've been doing my current role in about for about a year and a half now mm. at the church. Uh, as you know, I lead the Foundation Bible Study. I've been doing that for 10 years now. So those are my kind of the big uh, responsibilities that I have. Within those areas, there are multiple other projects that come up and that I need to kind of think through and help. Uh, navigate. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, as things come up, like the lawsuit that we had last year, I had to be the primary liaison between the city and the attorneys and our church. And those kind of things happen. But those are primary, primarily projects that I have to work with on a daily basis. Yeah. So, yeah. And we're very grateful for everything that you do. <laughs> I mean, we can't, yeah, we can go down the list of everything that you do, but it's it's just amazing just to see your commitment, you know, to not only shepherding, but, you know, to, but to the whole church, to yeah. everyone. It's just amazing. Well, I don't know how blessing. you do it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a blessing. Lord. Yeah. I mean, honestly, often I reflect on an immigrant kid should yeah. not be given these kind of opportunities. And that keeps me just thankful and hopefully yeah. humble and hopefully faithful. Yeah. That whatever God has entrusted to me, even though I definitely, and this is not false humility, like I truly don't believe, you know, I, des- I deserve that. And so mm-hmm. I just want to be, do my best mm-hmm. in whatever I've been given to do. And um, hopefully it's what's the best for the church and the people in our ministry and so on. Yeah. So, And I, I will say this. So if I had to like describe you to anyone or what characterized you <laughs> and from the moment I met you, it's just humility. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the greatest qualities, especially for a shepherd, because 
we are called to be humble, you know, and with everything that has been entrusted to you, that is something that just stands out. Like mm-hmm. everywhere you are, it doesn't matter where you're speaking from, but you, the Lord has given you truly a humble heart and just that you care for, for people. Mm-hmm. You know, Thank you're you. just not someone up there for the show, which we, we don't want, right? Like to see a pastor just doing it for the praises and the glory, but yeah. you're, you truly love the Lord. And I Thank love you. what we're going through right now in, mm. in foundation holiness. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah God, um, the godly life. The godly yeah. life. And it's just, just to see even like the process, like what you bring to foundation, you really care about um, where everyone is at, yeah, especially well. with our holiness. You know, it's in such a dark time. It can be very difficult, yeah. especially nowadays. Yeah. And, no, it is. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you. Very kind of you to say that, Arlenis. I had a conversation with somebody from our Bible study on Friday. And uh, this person was faithful to answer another co-worker's questions about his convictions on uh, LGBTQ questions. And Mm -hmm. um, he answered honestly, kindly, faithfully to the Bible, lovingly. uh, And the next day he was put on probation at Mm -hmm. work. And so that keeps happening to people. And so, you know, when I hear stories like that, it just makes me want to pray for them. And... To say, God, give all of us courage. Yeah. You know, those of us who work in the church or perhaps in another Christian organization, we're not faced directly with some of the same challenges that the people around us are. And so I think there's an element of um, fervency that we should have to yeah. pray for them and to be uh, aware and to know that they just want to be encouraged. They come to church, they come to Bible study, they come to small group, maybe community group to be refreshed, to be encouraged, to get an extra boost of energy to survive another week in a very dark world, as you just said. Yeah, that's so true. And now I'm going to transition in just a little bit about the Legacy Standard Bible. Sure. I had yeah. Joe share a little bit about yeah, that. And I want to hear about what was your involvement? Sure. What was your role in yeah. the new uh, translation sure. of the yeah. Legacy Standard Bible? Yeah, so there were six of us on the committee that translated the Bible. Uh, three people were devoted to the New Testament. Three people were devoted to the Old Testament. And I was one of the three on the New Testament side. Mm-hmm. So my responsibility was to go through the whole New Testament And we had the Greek language open. We had the New American Standard Bible Mm -hmm. in front of us as well. In addition to that, we also had multiple other English translations open Mm -hmm. because as we were translating from the original, from the Greek into what would be LSB, Legacy Standard Bible, Mm -hmm. we wanted to understand why the translators who preceded us, ESV, Mm -hmm. NIV, uh, New English Translation, Holman, Bible, Holman Christian Bible, the New American Standard Bible. We had probably a dozen Bibles open Mm -hmm. uh, just to kind of understand, okay, why did they choose that term? How did the grammar fall into place in their thinking? And in order for us to do that, we had to be, you know, to have access to more than one, just the Greek and then NASB, for example. Beyond that, we would also be researching things. And so all of us were assigned different research projects. I was assigned multiple times and all of us, all six of us were committed to doing basically similar work to say, if we were going to try to translate one Greek word or Hebrew word in the Old Testament that reappeared multiple times in the same book and then in the same Testament, multiple Mm -hmm. times across multiple books, that as much as possible, we wanted to be consistent 
in our English translation. So the same English word would then be translating the same Greek word or mm -hmm. Hebrew word. But we also wanted to make sure that we're not kind of squashing in any way the nuances of a word. Because in a different context, a word could carry a different nuance. Yeah. And so to do that faithfully, we had to look at multiple contexts. We would go into dictionaries and various other resources to fully understand terminology and then grammar as well. And so uh, my role was to focus on the New Testament. And so that's what I did. Mm -hmm. uh, Abner Chow uh, was kind of the team lead. And so he was on both sides. Uh, Joe was focused primarily in the Old Testament. But as much as possible, we would help each other. It wasn't like we were only concerned about our Testament. You know, we were always working together. All six of us were on all the calls together. Uh, some of those calls lasted for five to six hours long, nonstop. Wow. And uh, it was just a way for us to get through the chapters that we had assigned as a group as for all of us to get through that week. And so until we got through them, we didn't stop. Because wow. we had to keep moving yeah. through the through the whole Bible, yeah. so yeah, it was a huge privilege. You know, just uh, last week, I was reflecting on that season, the COVID, starting with the COVID, you know, March of 2020, and um, you know, into kind of the last year period, and the Legacy Bible probably wouldn't have happened if COVID COVID wouldn't have happened, because all of us mm -hmm. are doing other things. All six of us are professors, some at TMU, some at TMS. All of us were regular preachers uh, in some place, some church, you know, not maybe, almost all weekly, actually. Almost all of us were weekly preachers. And on top of that, you know, we're preparing lectures and where some of us were working on books in addition to that. And so we had a bunch of other projects going on. And uh, for COVID to kind of simplify things a little bit. We still had to teach and had to do work, but it was different. Yeah. And so we were able to be locked up in our houses, in our rooms, and just focus on translation. And so in that sense, uh, the Legacy Bible was aided by COVID to get it finished and, you know, released at the end of last year. Yeah. And... We got the best gift ever last Christmas. <laughs> I could not yeah, believe in the, it in the when study, yeah. you, I didn't know what you were going to say, but when yeah. you said that all of us in foundation, were going to get a new legacy standard Bible. I mean, yeah. we were just talking about yeah. like, so what are we going to do? Are we going to get it? And I'm so thankful we never did. <laughs> that yeah. we got it, you know? So, and that was, you know, we, uh, I don't know if I have it over here on the bookshelf. I think, yeah, it should be up there, but that's like the Bible that we're using, sure. you know? And I was like, what? We're getting a new legacy yeah. center? So that was our Christmas No, it gift. was actually the most precious moment in my memory with Bible study, with foundation. Yeah. Because <laughs> I wish somebody recorded it. <laughs> I should have. So I kept it a secret. There was like yes. three people who knew that in our Bible study of a couple hundred, that this was going to be the gift. Because I tried to keep it as secret as possible because I yes. wanted people to be surprised. <laughs> so I didn't even ask anybody to record, you know, the announcement and then kind of the people's responses. Yeah. But honestly, that moment when people were, as you said, you know, the jaws dropped, the people gasped. <laughs> and people <laughs> were thankful. And yeah. truthfully, people rushed. The table, you know, Crystal was, was there. handed out. <laughs> yeah, I gotta exactly. go. <laughs> well, everybody just kind of rushed the table. And Crystal <laughs> yes. was like, oh my gosh, overwhelmed. And then she said, okay, it's form a line. Get civilized over here. Yes, and so, she had the face. Right, oh right, yeah, she yeah. was like. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and so she, you know, she was over, over yeah. there kind of helping people get the Bible yeah. and so on. But it was just a precious moment, you know, because it reflects people's desire for God's word. Yeah. 
And when we were working on the translation for those months, look, it wasn't easy. No, none none of us, the six of us would ever say it was an easy project. It was rewarding. It was uh, humbling to be part of the team, but it wasn't easy. But then to see the end product and then to see how people were excited, how excited they all got. It's like, oh, wow, I get this new translation. You know, it it was just, I don't think anything can really match that feeling of satisfaction that hopefully our generation, our Bible study, our church, people who have it will be able to use it. And what makes it distinct from other translations, because people can easily say there are so many translations of the Bible in the English language. Why do you need another one? And I would say this, the ultimate goal of every new translation should be to get as close as possible to the original language, to authorial intent. Yeah. Like what did the authors who wrote this centuries ago uh, want for yeah. people to understand? And there's only so much a translator can do to translate scripture. Then the preacher steps in and explains it. And our goal was not to take the place of the preacher. And the preacher has to have his role and he has to explain. And if there are difficulties in the text, we left them there. But as much as possible, we wanted to get to the original to explain it. You know, you say it's your your family Bible. You read it. It's my Bible too. I read it uh, uh, through the Bible, both Old and New Testament. I've been reading Legacy. Just kind of to get into my mind as well. Because it becomes, my mind becomes saturated with the Legacy Bible on a daily basis because, you know, I was slowly transitioning from the NASB, which is what I was brought up on for 30 years. <laughs> That's what I to have kind been of slowly, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to the LSB. Yeah. So. And people on social media, I mean, even friends that uh, we know from the BART network, they're huge fans. I mean, mm. Chris Hoff, he loves, like, he's a great advocate. He's like already like, promoting the Legacy Standard Bible before it even came out. He, uh, dear brother, he's going to be here for Shepherd's Conference. And as soon as he saw that I posted on my Instagram that this was our gift, he was like, sister, what does it look like? Send me a picture. (laughs) So I had to send him a picture of what it looked like, you know, because he had a a different way. Huh? Oh, yeah. So we did actually a giveaway for the podcast. podcast. Yes. uh, Andrea got a second uh, Legacy Standard Bible and she was kind enough to give it to us and say, let's just do a giveaway. So people were very excited about it. So, I mean, you can see just like how much people really appreciate all the work that went into it. And again, it's just for our own benefit and our own uh, Mm -hmm. growth and our spiritual walk that we will desire to continue, you know, even studying further the word of God. Mm -hmm. But since we're talking about books and translation, I know that you have written your own books. Mm -hmm. You have two already or one? One. One. Yeah. Can you just share a little bit about what the book is? Yeah, sure. The book is called Follow Me. And it's a study of the Gospel of John. But specifically, it's a revision of my PhD thesis. So the PhD thesis was focused on the benefits, the incentives, the motivations of following Jesus in the Gospel of John. So... The way I understand the Gospel of John is that it was written to persecuted Christians who were beginning to wonder whether it truly is worth it to follow Jesus Mm -hmm. in the middle of all the persecution. And so the Gospel of John is written at the end of the first century to Christians who are wavering Mm -hmm. in their commitment to Christ, to Jesus as the Christ or Jesus as the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And what John the Apostle does is he writes this Gospel and 
presents 26 different benefits, rewards for faithful believers in Christ and those who follow him as true disciples. And so what I do in this book is I study these benefits. I categorize them under three primary benefits that are unique to the gospel of John. Uh, They are, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a friend of Jesus. You are in the family of God and you're in fellowship with the entire Trinity. Mm. And so that language of each of those images is unique to the gospel of John. It's distinct. It's prominent in the gospel of John. And because of that, I kind of um, took that information, grouped it in such a way that makes a compelling case to the reader why Jesus is worthy of being followed. Mm -hmm. So that's the book. Came out um, about a year ago now. And where can people find it? Yeah, it's on Amazon. So people can find it on Amazon. It's called Follow Me. And if you can spell my last name, you'll find it. <laughs> I know how to spell your last name. Don't worry, it's going to be there. Okay. Don't worry, I'll be adding the, the link to, uh, on the show notes okay. or the description. So it'll be there to go directly. So before I actually get to our signature questions, okay. I normally like to listen to Elizabeth Elliot. There is a podcast that they just recollected all, you know, I guess, her teachings and different conferences and things like that. And I loved what they asked her. And I was like, and it was before I did an interview with you. And I'm like, wow, this is such an amazing question that they mm-hmm. asked her. She was just sharing about um, someone who was interviewing her and they asked her this question. And this, this is a question that I would like to ask sure. you. So with everything, obviously, that the Lord has entrusted you with and different ministries, and it's a busy life, right, in ministry. And what a blessing. Mm-hmm. What would you like to be remembered by by the end of your life? Um, honestly, I would probably say faithfulness. Mm-hmm. I go back often in my mind to First Corinthians 4, where Paul says it is of utmost importance that stewards or servants be found faithful. And he says a couple other elements. And then in verse 7, he says, what do you have that hasn't been given to you? And if it has been given to you, then why do you act as if it hasn't been given to you? And those two verses kind of in the same paragraph help me, first of all, often when my mind gets bloated and, you know, uh, pride sneaks in, I go back and say, I have nothing that hasn't been gifted to me by God. Therefore, it is of utmost importance for me to be faithful. So I think if I would be remembered as he was faithful, Mm -hmm. he was faithful to Christ, he was faithful to do his responsibility in the mm-hmm. church, whatever responsibility was given to him, he was faithful to his family, to his friends. Uh, and it's it's not easy to be faithful. And there's so many stories in the Bible of faithlessness. Just thinking back to the Gospel of John for just a second, where in John 6, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, and he tells them, I'm the bread of life. Come to me and you will never hunger I'm the water of life. Come to me and you will never thirst. After this, it says the people walked away. Mm-hmm. They just stopped following him. Okay. Which is shocking because it's literally free food, amazing teaching. And why would you abandon Jesus? Mm-hmm. And Jesus looks at his disciples. It says that at the end of chapter six, turns to them and says, do you also wish to walk away? Mm-hmm. Peter says, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. But at the end of that chapter, it says, 
but he was speaking of Judas. And so Judas was already introduced halfway through the gospel, really in the first third of the gospel in John 6, as somebody who would be faithless. And so you have a contrast of Peter, who wasn't perfect. If you know the full story of Peter, he also was faithless towards the end, right, before the crucifixion, when he was asked multiple times if he was his disciple, he denied it. And so in that moment when it mattered most, when Jesus is all alone, he says, no, I'm not. I don't know him. So yeah, there was a moment of his weakness, but also you have Judas. And so you have multiple examples of people who followed Jesus multiple years. And to look at those examples and to reflect on your own life and say, I hope, even though I'm imperfect, I hope I will be faithful. So Mm -hmm. faithfulness doesn't mean perfection. Mm -hmm. I think faithfulness means obedience. It means sincere and genuine love. Mm -hmm. And it means fidelity at at any cost. And the question is, what cost will God demand of you Mm -hmm. to demonstrate your fidelity? And so Mm -hmm. it would be wonderful. You know, whatever legacy God allows me to have, I'm not, honestly, I don't think about that stuff. I don't, I'm not having this ambition of being, leaving this or that legacy behind. But I think on a daily basis, the struggle is I want to be faithful. Yeah. You know, sincere faith, you know, from a pure heart and faithfulness to do what has been asked of me mm-hmm. in the current season by our pastor and our elders. Yeah. So. I love what Elizabeth Elliot, like in her, in her podcast, they, she always she will say very often, like, there is nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for. Mm. Yeah. So whatever we're doing, whatever the the Lord has entrusted, wherever the Lord has placed each one of us, is it worth mm-hmm. dying? Like, you know, is it yeah. worth dying for? Like, will yeah. you die for Christ? Yeah. Will you be willing to die for Christ? Right. So I really love that. So yeah. I had well, to Well, and she speaks one who lost her husband. Yeah. Yeah, it's Jim Elliot, exactly story. with the same situation. Yeah. yeah, so true. All right, so now let's move on to my signature. Right, I think Mark it. is about to fall asleep in here. <laughs> I'm still awake. <laughs> no, he's, still, he's still awake. <laughs> so um, we've been talking about books and all that. So do you have any favorite books or any books that were helpful for you? Yeah. Other than the Bible. Sure. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, I would say that the most impactful book on me as a Christian, this was when I was much younger. I was in my teens was Disciplines um, of the Godly Man Mm. by Kent Hughes. And I've reflected on it since then. I've reread parts of it since then. I've used it in preaching and so on. But that book calls Christians to live like Christians. Now, Mm. it's targeting men, but they have one for the women. They have one for the family. So you can get similar principles in other books that are paired books to that one book. So that was one of them. I would say another book that really left an imprint on me is Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards. Mm-hmm. It's a substantive book. It's going to take a person time to read and process and digest. So it's not a fast, speedy read, but it's a book that will prompt you to reflect on your faith. It's written in response to the Great Awakening when people were crying and wailing and repenting emotionally, but then there was no uh, evidence in their life of this radical conversion. And so Jonathan Edwards evaluates this whole historical event, the Great Awakening, tries to understand it in his own mind. How can this be that people are so emotional about their sin, so eager to repent, filled with tears and emotion, and yet their lives don't change? 
And mm-hmm. so he goes to First Peter 1.8, we love him though we've never seen him. Mm-hmm. And he takes that verse and explains it as a way to describe the Christian life as a life that loves Christ. And so it's religious affections. You know, you truly have love for Christ. Mm-hmm. Often I think of John 21, when Jesus restores Peter, after Peter's betrayal of Jesus, Jesus asks him the same question three times. Do you love me? And then he says, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, right? So in other words, your love for me is going to be manifested in your care for the people of God, Mm -hmm. for the church. Now, he was speaking to Peter as one of the apostles, as one of the future rocks of the church, as one of the pillars of the church, as those who will shape early Christianity and be a part of the writing process of scripture, writing, you know, two books and being behind the gospel of Mark as he, you know, helped Mark write that um, through his own experience. Yes, there's a distinctive charge to Peter from Jesus to tend and feed his sheep. But I think it goes beyond that by application to all Christians that if you truly love Christ, you will have a unique commitment to the people of God mm-hmm. as you serve them. Yeah. And of course, we know that the Holy Spirit gives us gifts that are tailor-made for us, and then we're to use them to the benefit of the body. So that'd be the second book, Religious Affections, that um, you know really forces us to reflect on the sincerity of our faith. Yeah. Um, there's many, many other books that I've read over the years that I've really enjoyed, but I would say maybe the third big one that left an impact on me you know, as a much younger is Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. I think I read it about the same time as I read Disciplines of a Godly Man. Uh, so it was a kind of a pairing, you know, the, the, you know like a, impacted me substantially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it just calls you to reflect on the Christian life and it has certain disciplines that you expect to have from prayer to fasting to, um, to reading scripture to um, the kind of people you spend time with and so on. So yeah. it's, it's a good way to reflect on your Christian convictions and commitments. Uh, so those are kind of the the books that have really impacted me in my normal daily life. You know, I, I like to read um, theology. I like to read the Gospel of John books. You know, mm-hmm. That's my favorite gospel, if I can say that. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it just, you know, you're constantly thinking, you're constantly reading. There's other authors that I really respect and enjoy because they challenge my thinking um, but yeah, but I would say those three have really impacted my my Christian faith substantially. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned one of your favorite that you love to be reading on foundation most or retreats when we do retreats. You read a lot from uh, the Valley of Vision. Oh yeah, yeah the prayer, the Puritan yeah, prayer. Yeah, so yeah, that's, that's my that's my devotional. <laughs> yeah, book. yeah, I've that's read it. that through multiple times, yeah. and I still use it all the time. Yeah. yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah I no, I do. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I had the one that you guys gave me, but then because it got so ruined, I got you another, got another one, one, which is like a black leather yeah, cover yeah, yeah, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, that too. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so now three things that brings you joy. Three things that bring me joy. Yeah. All right. The ocean. Mm. I love the beach. I love the ocean. <laughs> it brings me a lot of joy. The one here in California or just oh, any, I don't any. care where it is. As long as it's an ocean. Well, water. Let's just say water. I love it. But the ocean. Yeah. No, East Coast, West Coast, islands, whatever. Yeah. Uh, no, it's just something um, unique. I mean, I think, you know, it's not just uh, physical, like I enjoy the water. That is an element of it and it's relaxing. But the grandeur of it. And mm-hmm. it just constantly reminds me of God's power. And even when God 
It reminds Job in the end of Job, Job 38 and through 42, that God is God and he's not. God tells him, who tells the oceans to stop here, the waves to stop right here and go no further, right? And so even that is God uses that as an example of power and control. So the ocean brings me lots of joy. Love it. Love the ocean. Um, I like reading John Grisham books. I like law, legal things. Um, Probably if I was in ministry, I'd be in law as a career, most likely. And so I enjoy reading legal things. I enjoy keeping up with legal things that happen in in society. So that gives me joy substantially. And three, uh, I really enjoy preparing a sermon and preaching a sermon. It's, I would say that as I reflect on using my spiritual gift, I think that's one of the indicators when you know you're using your spiritual gift is that you're happy, you enjoy it, and I like it. And honestly, one of my favorite parts is just dialoguing with people afterwards. Friday mm-hmm. night, that happened. On Sunday afternoon, I was in a little Q&A with some people from our Bible study after as well, after church, and it was just enjoyable to just talk about different biblical things. And so I love doing Q&As, really enjoyable to me. But yeah, I'm sure there's more things. French pastries (laughs) give me lots of joy. I love French pastries. Belgian chocolate gives me lots of joy. I love that. Um, You just reminded me something that I wanted to say, actually. That Mark has like the most brilliant ideas for (laughs) foundation Christmas Christmas party. party. Yeah, the, I, I enjoy those parties year, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last few years we've had some good ones. Yeah, we had so, 1920s. We yeah. talked about that. with I remember when Sarah DeSalvo came okay. over, we talked yeah. about it. And then I last... was planning that party for two years. From 2018, <laughs> I couldn't wait for 2020. <laughs> I was like, 2020, we're doing the 1920s, Roaring Twenties. Yes. I had this plan. They had this New York themed uh, decor. Oh, yeah, I Everything was, I was just came out. Two years out. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was amazing. And Mark, so when you saw me, you you stopped me and you're like, Arlen, is that <laughs> yeah, your you, hair? You were no. dressed well. You were in, in costume. I I'm love like, it. Mark, you no, no, no. I'm not going that far. I'm not going to go into it. No, I remember. I remember what you That was like. so fun. No, but it it's really fun. fun. I, I, I'm always looking forward to the you know, to our Bible studies, uh, Christmas party. Yeah. They're like so fun because I love dressing up. So I'm like, yes, yeah. he makes yeah. it happen. We're going to keep elevating the standard. I can wait so. for this. Cheers. Know, Lord right? willing. We've got eight months, to 10, 10 months to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, this Christmas was super fancy. Yeah, it, was. it was. It was good. I told him it was epic because yeah. Mark, that's like his thing. It needs to be epic. I'm yeah, like, Mark, epic. it was epic. <laughs> we, have to, we have to keep pushing it up. Yeah. But it was, it was just wonderful. So now for my last question, we come on this podcast and we're sharing, you know, people's testimony and yes, they talk about, you know, their life and everything. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it always points to one person and that is Christ. Um, we wouldn't, we are not capable of saving ourselves. We are not capable to restore our relationship with the Lord, but mm-hmm. it's through Christ. And so my next question to you mm-hmm. is, why do we need Jesus Christ? I'm going to answer it from Jesus' own words. From John. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. John 10, 10. And Jesus says, I have come to testify to the truth. That's John 18. Um, I think it's verse 37. Those who follow me, Jesus says in John 12, will no longer walk in darkness, but will see the light of day. So you have Jesus explaining why he came and what he offers which answers the question of why we need Jesus Christ. 
In other words, we need life. So we're spiritually dead. The only solution to that spiritual death is spiritual life. That Jesus says, I've come to give that to them. But then he says, I am, you know, life. Mm -hmm. And I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So the exclusivity of Jesus as Savior, as life giver, and as truth communicator is what I would say why we need Jesus. Mm-hmm. Especially when you consider human history. So you think back in Genesis 3, right? Satan's attack on Adam and Eve, specifically Eve, begins with a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, he twists God's word. He uh, slowly perverts it. And then he ultimately completely denies it and says, God God did not say, you will not die, in other words, right? No, you will Mm -hmm. not die. So God Mm -hmm. said, you will, you will not die. So you have the fusion of lies and life and death. And so from the point that Satan enters human history, he's a liar. Mm -hmm. And Jesus characterizes him as such in John 8, 44. He's a liar and the father of lies. And then you see him act throughout biblical history as a liar, as a deceiver, as the accuser as a roaring lion, as a destroyer, right? Fast forward to the book of Revelation, and you see uh, in chapter 12, for example, Satan is being introduced again as a liar of the whole world. It says in Ephesians, the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. You begin to put the picture together that our world is run by a liar. It's filled with lies. More so than ever, I think, we are experiencing those lies. We're hearing those lies. People are beginning to believe those lies like they're true. Pick any category, whether it's politics or medicine or science or, you know, the corruption that we see in finance and the lies that, you know, surround some of that. And so lies are just, it's it's part of the human history, you know. And yet, even though people everywhere lie and it's horrible and we still resist it, right? Mm-hmm. Even people that don't love Jesus and don't follow Jesus have this resistance to lies. They hate lies, yeah. right? Even though they lie themselves. But there's this understanding that there's truth and there's lies. Yeah. And the only way for us to move from lies to truth is Jesus. Mm-hmm. I have come to testify to the truth. So mm-hmm. in other words, for people to be free from the lies that deceive us and and trap us, only solution is Jesus. And I think all that is a part of why Jesus came, who he is, what he offers. We see all that in scripture. So why follow Jesus? Why do people need Jesus? Why do we need Jesus? Is because the only way for us to truly understand what is true is to go to the source of truth, and that is Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we find life and mm-hmm. we find light and we no longer walk walk in darkness you know to those who are faithful to him jesus says i will give them the crown of life and that's in revelation chapter two and so we have that those promises given to us that um uh, jesus alone is the one who gives us that freedom that we in internally know that there's something wrong with lies but now we know exactly objectively what that is yeah. Jesus gives us the truth. Yeah. So through his word. Yeah, right? exactly. Through his word. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mark, yeah. for uh, joining us again. It's been such a, an amazing time just hearing more. I mean, I like Andrea and I, we were talking before you got here. You're like, yeah, we just heard like, you know, pieces, like <laughs> parts of, of his, story, uh, yeah, yeah of, his, uh, of your testimony. And it's just so wonderful to see just the work that the Lord has done in your life and your family. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing about bringing you guys here and now where you are, you and your your brothers, you know, and your family are faithfully serving the Lord. And like you said, at the end of your life, you want to be, you know, remembered by faithfulness. Yeah. And yeah. thank you so much. Thank you. It was wonderful. <laughs> I'm glad to have this conversation with you. Yeah. Thank you. Great questions. And thanks for doing this. No I think thing. this is good for a Bible study. It's good for people yeah. to just kind of be exposed to different stories. And hopefully mm-hmm. it just reminds people that, hey, God is working in every single person. Yeah. And, and I have a couple of more people already in yeah, mind. Yeah. I already to talked that. to Yadid because we're working together oh, now. Great. And uh, yeah. so I, I, and even brothers that have been sharing, I love that we're being sharing testimony and foundation because yeah. now I'm like, you get to hear yeah. people no, exactly. and, and, you get, and to get to know them. Pick them off. Uh, of course. <laughs> I already have some in mind. Like so it. I'll be coming like for it. you guys. Good. Good. <laughs> yeah. Good. So thank you again. Thank you guys for uh listening or watching uh remember if you want to follow us on social media you can go on the links here on the description and also you'll be able to find the book that we talked about mark so you can find it on amazon but before we end will you mind just closing out of course yeah lord god we're grateful for your providential leading of all of us and we know that a part of from your grace we would be lost and uh, even the situation that we are constantly um, thinking about whatever's in the news, whatever is on our mind hurting us and harming us in this season. We know that you are still in charge of this world and we trust you and we love you and we want to be faithful to you. And I pray that you would keep us faithful. And we thank you for Jesus who leads the way for us as our older brother, that we can follow him in his footsteps in our desire to please you in all respects. Amen. Amen.